Good morning, church. Hey, I just, uh, you know, obviously I'm not here. I'm typically not one to really, I don't like doing the camera TV preaching thing, but uh, just to be candid, I had a death in the family I was made aware of. Uh, yesterday, today for me, I'm recording this, uh, my grandfather, uh, he lives in the mainland, He's, he passed away, and so um, uh, my family and I, we're, we're just, we're taking a little bit of time to minister and be a blessing to our family, and so, um, but I wanted to record this because we're back on our series, I've got a really good word, and I did not want to pass up the opportunity to minister this, so uh, with that being said, I'd like everybody, would you stand to your feet right now, we honor the reading of God's word in this house, I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're in our series, Better Together, and uh, of course we've got our theme verse, we'll bring that up on the screen right now, Ephesians chapter 2, just hold your finger there in Ephesians 4, we'll get there in a minute, but Ephesians chapter 2, we've got it on the screen, and uh, at the count of three, we're all going to read this together in unison, one, two, three, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling, where God lives by his Spirit. And if you'll turn now to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, I, uh, so one of my favorite passages in the Bible, one that we base, you know, what, what do we believe about pastors and all of these, is all right here. Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, reading out of the New King James, is what it says. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It's what we call the fivefold ministry. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may we know in all things to him who is the head, Christ, and from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand over this time as we get into his word. Uh, Jesus, I just invite you right now 
Holy Spirit, I ask you, uh, even right now, uh, God, even though I'm not here today, God, even as I come by video this morning, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that your anointing would descend in this place. I ask, mighty God, that you would anoint me to preach under the authority and the unction of the Holy Spirit as I ought to. And God, I ask that you would anoint every listener within the sound of my voice. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart and a mind that perceives what your Spirit is speaking in this very moment. Help us today, mighty God. And I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to divide or distract or uproot or confuse the word of God, even as it comes forward today, I ask you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, you may be seated right now. How many of you would love to go to a perfect church? I want you to Lift your hands if you'd like to go to it. I can't see who's lifting their hands, but how many of you would love to go to a perfect church? Okay, so would I. And uh, I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard this saying before, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there. Because if you do, you're going to ruin it, right? Because none of us are perfect people. We go to a perfect church, we're going we're gonna to ruin the whole thing. But what's interesting is you'll notice that right here in this passage, it actually talks about how we can become the fullness of what God intends. In fact, it even uses the word perfect. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But let me just tell you, I believe with all of my heart that what Jesus Christ is returning for is a pure and a spotless bride. The Bible says that has no, not spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He is coming back. For a perfect church. And I, I think we can look around and, and I mean, you, you just spend 24 hours with, with any of the people sitting here in this room. And you're going to realize we're pretty far from being the perfect church that God has called us to be. But I have good news. Jesus has made ways for us to receive gifts and operate and be all that God has called us to be. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, what's very interesting is... Uh, this passage begins talking about the gifts of God. Every person within the sound of my voice, you've got gifts in your life. The Bible says that we've all been given a measure of Christ's gift. Every believer within the sound of my voice has gifts. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, you're gifted. Okay, I can tell that most of you didn't do that right now. Uh, but uh, turn to your other neighbor right now. Come on. Tell him, I am gifted. Yeah, that's right. We're gifted. Every one of us has a unique call from God. We all have unique gifts. And even we talked about in, our last, uh, in the last message on Better Together, we all have a responsibility to do what God has called us to do. That's the only way we're ever going to attain what God has. But here's a really cool picture. In fact, you'll notice that Paul, here in verse 8, he quotes a psalm. And this is a really cool illustration. I want to uh, show you. In fact, you can turn in your Bible to Psalm 68 in verse 18. Psalm 68 in verse 18. And as you turn there, let me just tell you kind of what's going on. This is a psalm of victory. What's happened, David wrote this psalm, 
And what happened is when David became king, he didn't become king of the entire kingdom of Israel. In fact, there had been civil war, there had been you know, bondage, there had been all kinds of stuff that had gone on. The Lord had promised them, hey, you're going to inherit all of this land. They didn't have it yet. And so what began to happen is when David became king, he became king over a very small area, and he began through warfare and, and whatnot, beginning to extend the kingdom of Israel. There had been a lot of war, and uh, what, what really ends up happening is they look towards one city in particular. There's a city called Jebus, um, and, and that's what the Jebusites had called it, uh, what would become the city Jerusalem, the capital, the city of David. And, and so what happens is they're uh, looking at all of this bondage that's going on. So the city is held captive by the Jebusites, and, uh, and, and there's even Israelis who are now in slavery. They're in bondage. Uh, I mean, it's a horrible, abusive kind of situation. And David now leads. In fact, you can, you can read the story. It's in Numbers, and it's in First Chronicles. It's a, it's a pretty neat account of what actually happened. Uh, they end up going, and, uh, and David looks up, and he says, listen, the, the first one who goes in there and uh, climbs that wall and storms this city, I'm going to make you the captain of my entire army. And we know Joab is the one who goes, and he's the one who begins to initiate that. And they have victory. They, uh, God gives them the city. It's a tremendous, powerful victory. Now, here's what's so cool. In the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 10, are you still there in Psalm 68? Stay right there. In Numbers chapter 10, God gave clear instruction to Moses. He says, any time that you go into battle, you're to take the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is to go before you in battle. That was symbolic of God's presence. It was the manifest presence of God right there on the Ark. And when they would go out, this is what the Lord instructed them to say. He says, and this is uh, verse 35, Numbers chapter 10, Whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And that is exactly what happened. David followed this very protocol. And as he's going into this Jebusite city, the city of David, Jerusalem, he's going to take it back. They make this declaration. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And this was their victory. They come into the city. They're setting captives free. They bring the ark into the highest stronghold, which was called Zion. And they have this incredible, wonderful celebration. And, and I've had you there in Psalm 68. Here's what it says, just the first few verses. This is what it says in verse 1. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee from before him. This is their victory psalm. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides in the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary and 
families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens dropped its rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Oh my goodness, you can tell I'm getting fired up and I'm, I'm, I'm here on my own right now, but isn't that exciting to you? Look at this in verse 18. Here's what the, the apostle Paul quotes in Ephesians. He said, you have ascended on high. You led captivity captive. You received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there. Here's the picture. David has this incredible victory. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. They have this parade as they walk with the Ark of the Covenant. And they're celebrating this amazing victory before God. They're going up to the holy hill, Zion, and they're honoring and they're worshiping God. But here's what's so cool. You'll notice that any time there was a great victory, there has something that comes along with a victory in war that they call the spoils of war treasure that's taken from the enemy or or even captives that are being set free and now now they're allowed to go free and it's what the bible calls gifts so the king is victorious and now is distributing gifts among the children of israel and now you get an idea of exactly why the apostle paul begins to quote this exact occasion because jesus came to earth where he died He descended into the lower parts of the earth, the pit, death, hell, where he overcame. And those who are bound in sin, those who are prisoners of Satan on the earth, under the earth, now they have the opportunity to be set free. Jesus has ascended. He is seated in heavenly places. And today, he's distributing gifts to all mankind. Look at your neighbor and say, you're gifted. Oh my goodness, it is, it is incredible what Jesus has done. And the Bible begins to list a number of things that are actually, uh, you know, what are these gifts that the Lord has poured out? In verse 11, it lists, now you may not view these as gifts, but that's exactly what the Bible calls it. He gave some. He gave. These are the gifts he's just mentioned that now he he ascended, he descended, he ascended, and he's giving gifts. And this is what he says. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You'll notice there's five of them. That's what we call the five-fold ministry. Now, can you track with me for a minute here? I, I want to teach you something that I, I don't I don't know if I've ever heard anybody teach it. Uh, outside of Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford is a, is a mighty Bible teacher, four-square, spirit-filled guy. But he actually categorizes the gifts, and I, and I think he's exactly right in the way that he does it. He talks about how there are gifts of the Father, and there's gifts of the Son, and there's gifts of the Holy Spirit. And where you see this, in fact, is in Romans chapter 12 is where we see the gifts of the Father. Well, what does that look like? That simply means that God has created everybody with gifts. Everybody has natural talents. Everybody has natural abilities, even if they're not Christians. 
I mean, how many of you ever met an unbeliever who's a wonderful musician? Or they're great with their words? Or they're generous? Or they're creative? Or they're administrative? Uh, You know, we can think about the skill set that any, even unbeliever, has. These are the gifts of the Father. And every time we exercise those gifts, it's a reflection of what God has gifted us with. This is where most of those gift tests, if you've ever taken one of those, in fact, we do that in the Discover track. That's what we're talking about, the gifts of the Father. And then, of course, we know there's gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And that's in 1 Corinthians 12. We're encouraged to earnestly desire these gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, to pursue them, to practice them. I believe that this is for every believer. So the gifts of the Father, that's for every person in existence. But once we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we now have this whole world that opens to us where we can prophesy. We can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And we can see the gifts of the God begin to flow amongst the body of Christ. And we contend for those things. But here in Ephesians 4, this is what's very interesting. This is what we call the gifts of the Son. Jesus was the one who descended into the earth and into the the depths of the earth. He's the one who ascended to heaven. And the Bible says he's the one who's giving gifts. And part of those gifts are the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and the teacher. But you'll notice here as well that it says he gave some. To be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. So, so just hear me here. Not everyone is called to be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. You, you may hear this message today and, and automatically, automatically begin to think, well, which one of those do I fall into? You may fall into one of them. Uh, you may not fall into any of them, and that's okay. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're all supposed to walk in it. We all have natural gifts, the gifts of the Father. We're all supposed to operate in those things. But God will call certain individuals to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And here's the reason why. He says it's it's not just so that we can, you know, be somebody so I can have a wonderful title. No, part of what the Lord does is we are anointed to equip others. Everybody say that word, equip. Say it again, equip. It's a very powerful word. And, and what does that mean? Equip, that word actually, uh, it's actually the picture of a bone that has been broken and is now being reset. Or a joint that's been brought out of place and is now being restored. You understand, this is exactly what we've got fractured body parts all over the body of Christ. We've got people that, boy, you've got a mouth and the Lord desires to use it. You should be singing, you should be preaching, but they're not. But what should happen is God begins to raise up apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers who will recognize those gifts and equip people to do what God has called them to do. It's the only way that the church of Jesus Christ will ever be all that God has called us to be. In fact, Dr. Morocco, I'll never forget I was on Maui, and this was early on in my ministry. It was during their annual business meeting, and I I had the opportunity to be there. And I remember him making a statement. It absolutely changed the way that I looked at ministry in general. He told his entire congregation that night, he says, I'm pastor, right? But my job as a pastor 
is not to do the work of the ministry. My job, according to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, is to make you do the work of the ministry. I remember as a young pastor, that really impacted me because I thought, well, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm just going to do all the work of the ministry. And truth be told, that's the way my wife and I ran our first church. I mean, I wrote the, the constitution and bylaws. I led the life groups. I led the prayer meetings. I led youth. I, I mean, I did everything. I was even the worship leader for a short time until my wife took that over. Hallelujah. And, uh, but then I began to learn this thing as a pastor. My job is not just to do the work of the ministry, but to get other people working. In fact, another Dr. Morocco is a prophecy he received early in his ministry. Somebody said, Dr. Morocco, you're like an aircraft carrier. And it's your job to get planes flying in the air. And so when a guy like me comes to Dr. Morocco... And says, Doctor, I've got a heart for the Big Island. I've got a heart for Kona. And I feel like God would have us uh, uh, begin a work there. Dr. Morocco immediately goes into this mode where he begins to pray and begins to figure out, how can I get that plane flying? And somebody better say thank you, Jesus, for a leader that we have like that. That's what I desire to be. I believe that God is going to build something here in Kona and I had a conversation with some young men just, just yesterday and was talking about, you know, they came to me with a vision, with a dream that God has put in their heart. And it says, you know what? You know what we're building in Kona? We are building right here an aircraft carrier. And I might be the captain of this ship, but it's my job that when somebody comes to me with a vision, somebody comes to me with a ministry idea, you've got an anointing, you've got a call on your life. It's my job as a pastor to get you off the runway and flying into the purpose and the calling that God has called you to operate in. And so that's what we do. That's why you're always going to feel pressure. Had a, a, a lady in our, in our life group just this last week tell us, they're like, man, I get so tired at our church. I'm like, why? What are you talking about? She says, you know, most of the time, all growing up in church, I, you go and you sing the song and you hear the preaching and that's, and that's all there ever is to it. But she says, at Kings, man, you have us praying for people and we're prophesying and I'm being encouraged to serve in a life group and to, and to lead over here and to do this and, to, and you're pulling me out of my comfort zone to lay hands on somebody and see them healed and they're, and they're like, oh, it's tiring. Why? If you come to this church, you're always going to feel pressure because I'm trying to equip you. You may come in this place, I don't know how to pray for sick people. I don't know how to take authority over demonic power. I don't know how to do any of this kind of stuff. But if you hang around long enough and if you listen to the words of this preacher, you will be equipped to do what God has called you to do. And that is my earnest, earnest desire. Now, I don't have time to go through a full breakdown, but here's what I want you to understand about, uh, about this five-fold ministry. Um, and, and let me just give you a simple way, okay? Let me give you a simple way that you can remember the five-fold ministry. I want everybody to hold up your hand just like this, okay? Now, finger number one, right? This is the prophet, what does the prophet do? The prophet points the way. They give direction. They give instruction. They bring correction, right? That's a, that's a prophet, okay? The second finger, don't hold it up on its own. The second finger 
is the evangelist. Why? If you look at how it is on, on most of your hands, right? The, it's, the, it's the furthest one out there. It's a, that's the first contact. That's the evangelist. That's the, that's the initial contact. They're the ones declaring the good news. They're the, they're the first point of contact to the unbeliever and to the world, okay? And so that's what, that's what the, uh, the evangelist is. Now, now, this third one, you'll notice I've got a ring on it. That is the pastor, okay? Because they're married to the church. They're the ones that God has called to shepherd the people of God. So as they assemble together, this is the one who's, who's near to them, who cares for them, who walks with them day to day. Now your pinky finger, now this is where like if you were to hold a cup of tea or something, right, it sticks out. And this is like proper etiquette right here, okay? That's the teacher right there. Hey, this is how we do it. This is how we instruct. This is the proper way that we handle ourselves. This is how we conduct ourselves. And the apostle is the thumb. Why? They're the ones that hold everything together, okay? So if you got it now, so we've got the, the prophet we have the evangelist, we have the pastor, we have the teacher, and we have the apostle holding everything together. Now, some of you may wonder, like, pastor, what is the difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, for example, and this Ephesians 4, fivefold ministry, prophet? And let me just tell you, there is, you know, there's a mandate that's been given to every single one of us. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. That tells me that every believer has the capacity to prophesy if they want to. But just because you can prophesy, in fact, I'll just use myself as an example. I, I had sought, I began to pray every single day for the gift of prophecy. And you know what? Over time, I got around prophets. I read books of the, you know, prophetic books. You know, people like Bill Hammond and Cindy Jacobs and, and others, Sean Bowles. You know, I, I read this stuff. I listen to their preaching. I read the prophets in the Bible. Everything from David all the way through Malachi. Those are all prophets in the Bible. Begin to read those things and begin to look. And man, God kind of speaks to me like that guy. And, uh, and I began to go through all of these things. And over time, the Lord began to unlock certain things on the inside of me to where now today I prophesy. And God's given me some very clear words. I know that I hear and I speak uh, at times what the Lord has given me. And it's a wonderful thing. But I will also tell you, I am not a prophet. I prophesy, but I'm not a prophet. My wife is a prophet. Individuals like Cindy Jacobs, they're, they're prophets. And here's, here's the difference. You'll notice that these five gifts in Ephesians 4, 11, God gave those gifts to equip others for the work of the ministry. So, so here's how I can really make that simple. If you hang around a five-fold prophet, if, and, and forgive me, I say five-fold, that's talking about these five gifts here. If you hang around a five-fold prophet, it's not going to be long at all before they begin to rub off on you and you begin to prophesy. Now, if, uh, if you're prophesying, it doesn't make you a prophet automatically. But if the Lord anoints you and begins to raise you up, and now you find yourself equipping and teaching others, well, you may be moving into the office of the prophet. 
It's the same thing with evangelists. You know, I listen to guys like Reinhard Bonnke, and I, you know, my mentor, Steve Hill, was a phenomenal evangelist. I listen to guys like Billy Graham, wonderful, tremendous evangelist. Now, you may not feel like you've got a great desire to witness or evangelize, but I promise you begin listening to these guys for some time. Todd White, you know, these guys are all evangelists. John the Baptist, evangelist. Philip in the Bible was an evangelist. You begin to listen to these guys and read and pray towards these things. All of a sudden, you're going to find, boy, I could, I could do this witnessing thing. I could, I could reach out. I could stand on a corner and preach. I could go knock on some doors or, or invite somebody. I mean, I'll tell you, even through Facebook and social media, man, the ability to witness and evangelize has never been easier. Pastors, I, I already expressed, they're those shepherds. They're the ones that care for the church, the teacher. Here's how you know someone's anointed to teach. Have you ever read a passage in the Bible that just makes you like, what in the world does that mean? You know, sometimes you even listen to preachers preach, and you're like, I have no idea what that guy's talking about. You know, hopefully you're not like that with me very often, but what, a, what an anointed five-fold teacher will do is they're able to take these complex portions of Scripture, these difficult passages, and they're able to teach them in a way that you're like, wow, I, I finally understand that. I never understood that before today. Jack Hayford, I mentioned already, John Bevere, a wonderful teacher. In fact, almost any commentary that you pick up, commentary of the Bible, uh, most likely will be written by an anointed teacher. And the last thing I want to talk about is the apostle. Now, I know this is controversial because, and I could spend a lot of time, but I've just got a couple more minutes before I bring this plane in for a landing. The apostles, you know, some people are arguing, well, we don't need apostles today because you'll notice that in, in the Bible times, what they did is they laid a foundation for the church. We see that in Ephesians 2.20. We see that they were the writers for the New Testament scripture. We see that in Ephesians 3 and verse 5. And, uh, and they were also called to confirm the gospel through signs, wonders, and miracles. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12.12. 12. Acts chapter 8 and verse 6 and a number of other places. So the apostles had a very unique role that they played. And I believe they, they, they play a similar role, although we're not writing scripture. Uh, but they are establishing foundation in the church today. But here's, here's one thing that I just, I, I want to avoid and I want to dispel. Many people hear apostle and they automatically say church planter. Oh, an apostle is a church planter. And I've got a problem with that. The reason is this. You'll look at a guy like the apostle Paul. And Paul uh, was a church planter. Absolutely. Paul went around. We know, in fact, most of the letters that we read in the New Testament, Corinthians and, and Philippians and Ephesians, and uh, all of these were letters that the apostle Paul wrote to churches that he helped establish. Apostolic covering. The problem is you'll look at an individual like Peter. And did you know that according to the Bible, we don't see evidence of Peter starting any church. 
Peter was not a church planter. We know that he kind of stepped into the role what Jesus left him with there in Jerusalem. We know that 3,000 were added to the church. And uh, in Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 were added. And from that point on, we actually don't see any other count. They were well over 20,000 people by that point in time. And Peter had a slightly different model. Peter was equipping people for the works of the ministry and sending them out. And you'll see, in fact, that Barnabas and Paul were amongst the first ones that they ever sent out. And so here's what's, what's very interesting. You know, we got guys today that call themselves apostle, and they started one church that got 10 people in it. Most of them are their own family. And so I understand people are timid, uh, you know, to just throw the term apostle around. And, and I'll just, I'll, I'll be very candid with you. The minute somebody calls themselves an apostle, I almost automatically assume that they're probably not. But you'll meet a guy like Dr. Morocco. Dr. Morocco, in this last board meeting, was put in a position that they call global senior pastor. You know what that is? Apostle. I even had a conversation. I'm like, doctor, why don't you call yourself apostle? He's like, well, I don't want to call myself an apostle. I'm like, doctor, you've started 500 churches. Call yourself an apostle. Redeem the name. But, and he believes in apostles, and he knows that he operates in an apostolic office. But what I've noticed about most true apostles, these guys aren't going around. They don't got it on their business card or on their Facebook. Or, you know, they're not promoting themselves as apostle. And here's what's interesting. Looking at Dr. Morocco as an example, he took over a church in Maui. He started the church on Oahu, and he started the church on Molokai. Three churches. How is it that we have 500 churches today when doctor himself has only started three? Well, what happens is people hang around somebody like Dr. Morocco and he begins to equip them for the works of ministry. He begins downloading faith on the inside of them and he gets them prophesying and preaching and, and serving and working and, and multiplying. And, and what ends up happening, and this is, this is what truly an apostle is right here. Apostles are individuals who can equip people for the work of the ministry and send them, release them, move them into what God has called them to do. And so I understand why, because what do you think is going to happen if you get somebody and you just take this church, for example, what do you think is going to happen here in this place if people begin getting equipped as pastors and teachers, and evangelists, and prophets, and even apostles being raised up right here in our own congregation, and then we send them out because God has a call of God on their life. You know what's going to be a natural byproduct of equipping churches? People are going to go out, and they're going to feel the call of God. I need to go be a missionary, and I need to go start churches all over this place, or I need to go start, I need to start a Filipino ministry, or I need to start whatever, whatever it may be. As we begin to equip, God is going to release individuals, and churches will be the natural byproduct. I've only got one more thing to say. Minister Ratlin, would you come and join me on the piano here as I draw this message to a close? What we're going to build here in Kona, as I said just a little bit earlier, is an aircraft carrier. Something that is going to be able to carry and equip and launch other people into their God-given call in ministry. They're equippers. 
Now, there's a, a major trend within the body of Christ today that say prophets and apostles in particular have ceased. Well, when, you know, the apostles in the Bible, when they died, uh, you know, that was it. John would have been the last one alive. And, you know, when these guys died, that was it. Um, I adamantly disagree. And this is why. Look at verse 13 here. He says Jesus will continue to give the gift to the church of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And he's going to continue to do that until... Everybody say, until. Until we come to a unity of the faith. Let me ask you a question. We'll just pause right there. This isn't just talking about our church, but this is talking about the entire body of Christ. So let me ask you, do we have a perfect unity of the faith? No. Not even close. That's why we got First Baptist Church and Second Baptist Church and Third Baptist. We got Church of the Red Carpet and Church of the Blue Carpet. We got Church of Baby Baptisms and Church of Immersion Baptism and on and on and on. Why? Because we're not on the same page when it comes to our faith. Jesus said he will continue to give these gifts to the church until we have a unity of the faith. Until we come to a knowledge of the Son of God. Can you know Jesus better than what you know him? Absolutely. A perfect man. There it is right there. Jesus is coming back for a perfect church. And until we're there, we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to take these disjointed body parts and equip them. Get them moving into the ministry that God has called them to. Because until we're no longer children tossed by every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro by the trickery of men. And then here's, here's the end, and this is what we're going to pray for today. It says the whole body doing its share. Could you imagine going through life, my friend, and all of a sudden you're leg just decides that it's going to stop working on you today or imagine even more importantly man you just imagine if your lungs or your heart or you know some internal organ that's vital to you it's just i'm not just i'm just not going to work today some of us sit on the sidelines of the church and we think, man, I don't have a great role to play in this. You know, I just, uh, I'm an observer. I'll let the preachers preach and the worshipers worship and the youth guys do the youth thing and, uh, you know, on and on. The problem is Jesus won a great victory. And part of his victory procession today is that he's distributing gifts. The problem is you're gifted and you're called. And if you spend your life sitting on the sidelines we are not going to attain to the fullness of what God has called us as a body to be. My job as a pastor is to get us all doing what we're supposed to do for Jesus. And I'm going to pray for us that we would all do our part. The body will be what it's supposed to be. Come on, I just want you to stand all across this room right now. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit right now to come. Lord, I just ask you to come and invade this sanctuary right now. 
Jesus, I know that you are coming back for a bride that has not spot, wrinkle, or blemish. But Lord, the church is very far from perfect right now. And I know some of those things, some of those, some of those imperfections are going to be worked out in the end times. It's going to be worked out in the millennium. You're going to be here. You're going to help us. But Jesus, today, today, you've gifted and you've called us. And God, I'm asking that, Lord, today you would grip our hearts with the reality of the weight of the call of Jesus on each and every one of our lives. Lord, don't let us be a body part that doesn't function. Don't let us be, Lord, ineffective or unwilling or afraid to step into what you've called us to. God, I know there are people within the sound of my voice. Lord, I know there are people in this world who will not be saved unless they do what you've called them to do. Lord, there are people that you desire to raise up in this place and they will start churches. They will touch foreign soils, mighty God, that haven't received the gospel. They will pray in that right moment that's going to break a stronghold or release healing in a situation. You're going to use people within the sound of my voice to disciple and to train and to, and to raise up God into maturity, your sons and daughters. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us. I'm asking that you would speak to each and every one of us, Lord. Because one day we're going to stand before you on judgment day and we're going to give an account for the life that we lived and the gifts that we have. God, we're all different. You've anointed each and every one of us in a different way. Asking that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Come on, just ask him to help you right now. Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us step into what you've called us to do. Don't let us miss a single thing. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, one other thing that I want to do, I never, I never have a service in, without providing the opportunity. Maybe you're here today, and uh, you're not even confident where you stand with Jesus. You say, I, I want to be useful in God's kingdom, but you're not even sure that you're saved. Well, the Bible says that if we'll call on the name of the Lord, we believe in our heart and we will be saved. And I want to help us with that declaration today. With every head bowed, everyone praying right now. I want to give a simple declaration right now. And if you're here and you need Jesus to forgive you, I believe that he can. If you'll pray this prayer with all of your heart, Jesus can be the Lord of your life. Come on, can we all just pray right out loud? Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I have sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me by your blood. Make me brand new. I give myself to you, Lord. Be my Savior, the Lord of my life, and my very best friend. I believe you died from my sin, and you rose from the dead, and you're coming back soon. I'm going to be ready. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me a new life. Help me to live a life that honors you every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, if, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm, I'm going to ask you right in the back of the room here, we've got a, a booth there that says next steps. And uh, just after the service, we're going to have some of our leaders there, Tabitha, Minister Adele, and, and just some of our leaders. And if you're making a decision to follow Jesus today, I want you to go let one of those guys know what you've done. Let them know that you're serious about God and they'd love to pray with you and uh, get to know you. So please do that before you uh, leave today. Was that a good word for you? Are you blessed? Well, I can't hear your response. Guys, I, I, I sure do miss being with you this morning. You let me know if Minister Rylin and the team are doing a good job. Uh, I'll plan on seeing you um, on Tuesday, uh, possibly even Sunday night. But uh, you be sure you, you join us and... Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. But let me speak a blessing over you. Would you just lift your hands all across the room right now? Today, I speak the blessing of God over you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Abraham was blessed in every way, may God bless you in every detail of your life. As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. When you're tempted and tried, may you come forth victoriously, just as Job, resulting in twice as much as you had before. As you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, may they in turn grow up godly, bringing honor to your family name. When you honor God with your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while others rise up and call you blessed. As you wait on the Lord, obey his word and seek him above all else. May the blessing of strength, courage, protection, and favor be your reward. May the Lord watch over and guard your going out and your coming in. King's Kona, may the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his light upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon.